Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the In Conversation with eClinical Medicine podcast. I'm Bianca Brandon, Senior Editor at eClinical Medicine, part of the Lancet Discovery Science. Each month we'll be interviewing an author of a paper published in our journal, giving them an opportunity to provide a deeper discussion of their research. We're joined today by Femi Oladapo and Megan Boren to talk about our latest series in collaboration with the Lancet Global Health. This series looks at maternal health in the perinatal period and beyond. It consists of four papers, a number of comments, as well as some additional multimedia materials. The four papers cover different aspects of maternal health, such as its determinants, vulnerabilities during pregnancy and childbirth, neglected consequences of labour and childbirth in low and middle income countries, and inequities in maternal health care services and outcomes. So thank you for joining us, Femi and Megan, and welcome to the podcast. Please, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your research interests and maybe explain your involvement in the review series? Thank you very much, Bianca, and thanks for having me uh, join this podcast. As you said, the name is Femi Oladapo. I work at the Special Program of Research, Development and Research Training in Human Reproduction uh, that was called HRP, which is based uh, in the Department of Sexual and Reproductive Health and Research at the World Health Organization in Geneva, Switzerland. Uh, there I had the Maternal and Prenatal Health Unit. I specialized in obstetrics and gynecology and public health, and I've been working at the World Health Organization for the past 10 years on maternal and prenatal health research, as well as guidelines and tools development. And I also provide specialized technical support to countries to enable them use data and uh, evidence in a way to best address the health needs of their population. So my research area uh, of work is focused on uh, creating new knowledge and generating innovative solutions to address global maternal and newborn priorities. In terms of my involvement in the series, I was asked by the journals to coordinate and lead the series project. My main task was to connect with the experts in the field, to advise on the content of the series, and work with these experts to recommend direction of the papers, get the outlines approved by the journals, identify co-authors, and provide support as needed to various co-author groups. So through, uh, from conceptualization of the topics, through to interpretation of the data, to obtaining modest funding support where necessary. And part of my role was to uh, keep the various co-author groups motivated to meet the, the timelines all through the process. Great, thank you. Thanks for sharing. And then um, Megan? Hi there, and thanks so much um, for having us both here today. I'm the head of the Gender and Women's Health Unit at the University of Melbourne School of Population and Global Health in Australia. And I'm also the co-director of, of World Health Organization Collaborating Center on Women's Health. Um, I'm a social scientist by training, and my research interests lie in using innovative research methods to bring women's, communities, and health worker voices into maternal health research. Most of my work to date centers on improving women's and people's experiences of maternity care services and working primarily with groups who are disadvantaged by systems of power. Um, in this series, along with an amazing group of co-authors from more than 10 countries, um, I led the fourth uh, paper in the series. And this paper focuses on how we can address intersectional gendered power relations to eradicate inequities in maternal health. Great. Thank you so much for the introductions. And 
please could you summarize what you deem to be the most important messages from the series? Thanks. We're really excited to have this um, series live. And I think it's coming at a really important time. We're living now through a time of renewed onslaught against sexual and reproductive health and rights. And we're in the juxtaposition of a climate emergency, political instability, armed conflict, and economic crises across the world. Alongside this complex social, environmental, and political global landscape, the latest World Health Organization maternal mortality estimates show stagnating progress in maternal health over the last decade. Our series of four papers on maternal health in the perinatal period and beyond offer us an ex exciting opportunity to address some of these burning issues that are restricting global progress in the sustainable development goal era. In paper one, um, there's an emphasis placed on maternal health in the context of the super determinants of health or the macro level contexts and constructs that influence health throughout pregnancy and birth. Paper two extends this knowledge from paper one to illustrate how the maternal health outcomes are interlinked and inter interdependent across the life course and how threats and vulnerabilities at different stages of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum periods interact with each other. Paper three likewise shines light on the burden and impact of some of the most neglected medium and longer term consequences of pregnancy and childbirth, things such as poor mental health, urinary incontinence, and sexual dysfunction. The absence of these critical health and well-being outcomes in the maternal health discourse leads to the dreadful misconception that these conditions that profoundly impact women's livelihoods are uncommon or unimportant, which of course they're not. And lastly, paper four demonstrates how using an intersectional approach can eliminate how multiple forms of power and privilege and how conversely oppression and exclusion drive these maternal health inequities. We propose a set of new research, policy, and clinical practice approaches that seek to address the challenges of eradicating these entrenched maternal health inequities that have the potential to spur the maternal and global health communities to imagine, invent, and co-create new approaches to hopefully move the world closer to a better, more equitable, and just future. So collectively, these four papers are really aiming to spark some new ideas for how we can collaborate to tackle the persistent and profound inequities that continue to plague maternal health today. I think Megan has summarized it uh, very beautifully. Um, I'm just going to add a, a couple of points to, to some of those um, to sort of buttress uh, some of the points that Megan already made. Um, I think, you know, just coming back to paper one, one uh, important message that that is coming through in that paper is that maternal health is a social issue and that maternal mortality is indeed a social tra tra tragedy. Um, and the fact that maternal health is not just, uh, you know, what we see is a product of a complex interplay of several factors from the environment to politics to economy to culture, you know, social and lifestyle patterns, as well as individual factors, all culminating into uh, the the condition that way that a woman presents it with when she's pregnant. So, in a nutshell, that paper is saying everything is connected, and focusing on just biomedical problems uh, will not solve the, the the global problems around maternal mortality and morbidity, but we need to look beyond that to start addressing socio-developmental issues that also contribute to the 
that the unfavorable picture of maternal mortality and morbidity that we've seen over the last several decades. And maybe just to, to sort of stress the point on paper three, that the focus has always been to address maternal maternal complications around the time of childbirth and maybe up to the, the sixth postnatal uh, weeks. However, that paper has sort of is highlighting lots of uh, other complications that women tend to experience long after uh, they've given birth. Some which are not, you know, clinicians don't often connect to the, the time of birth itself or the events that happen around the time of birth. We, we are sort of hoping that this paper would highlight and bring uh, to the fore uh, several of these conditions so that they're also included in global health agenda moving forward. Thanks. Great, great. Thank you very much. So um, next, um, Megan, um, what do you think are the wider implications of the work? So perhaps for women's health beyond reproductive health? Thanks. I think this series is really coming at an auspicious time for us um, as both the field of maternal health, but also sexual reproductive health um, and rights more broadly and are really at a critical juncture. Um, we've learned recently this year that declines in maternal mortality that we saw previously have really stagnated between 2016 and 2020. And during this period, only 31 countries managed to actually reduce maternal mortality while progress was halted or mortality increased in a further 150 um, countries. So from this, I think we can really see that we need to take some drastic action now in order to get back on track um, to reach the sustainable development goals more broadly um, than in maternal health alone. I think this series has some far-reaching implications for ways that we might think about doing this. So, for example, in paper three, um, looking at the medium and longer term uh, impacts of pregnancy and childbirth, paper three is really motivating us to look for what might be in our blind spots in maternal sexual and reproductive health and rights more broadly. So, in addition to the leading co direct causes of maternal mortality, what are some of the important and, and neglected areas of maternal health and well-being that extend far beyond the periods of pregnancy and childbirth? And how we, can we best support the transition to parenthood and motherhood holistically? Paper 4 also extends on some of this messaging to encourage the global health community to use intersectionality and justice-informed ways of working. And this likewise has implications for global health um, as a field more broadly in terms of using intersectionality and justice-informed ways of working to really agitate for the acknowledgement of and redress for the ongoing impacts of really wicked problems like colonization and dispossession. We also know that health inequities uh, facing the maternal health community and beyond are profound and persistent across time and across space. But we're really not helpless. If we work together, then we can tackle the injustices and equities in any space where we're faced with them. This goes from things like the deeply embedded and systemic gender inequities it rooted into health policies, to even things more locally like calling out racism and discrimination when we bear witness to it in our clinical and public health work um, in the day-to-day. -day. We must each individually and collectively take actions together to uplift, sustain, and value all women and people who are giving birth. And we're really far beyond the time for the hand-wringing uh, part of the problem and talking about the problem. Now is really the time to action um, at both our global and our community and local levels. Great, great. Thank you for sharing. Um, so, Femi, please can you elaborate further on the idea that the health effects after pregnancy 
and childbirth can continue to impact a woman's health in the longer term. Many women experience labor and childbirth-related morbidity in the medium to long term after childbirth, uh, even after the conventional six weeks, uh, which we tend to use for postnatal care services. Um, but these issues are not really prominent on global agenda because of uh, exclusive focus on maternal mortality. But some of these conditions are quite common. And, and data that we have uh, showed that up to 35% of women could experience what we call dyspareunia, that's painful sexual intercourse, several uh, weeks and, or even months you know, after at the time of birth. Also, we have uh, perineal pain, urinary incontinence, uh, mental disorders like anxiety and depression, uh, as well as se uh, secondary infertility. Um, some of these conditions are iatrogenic. That is, they are caused by interventions that are applied to actually improve outcomes for the women during labor and childbirth. And, and they, they are far-ranging, you know, from... Uh, you know, genital urinary conditions like fistula, pelvic floor disorders, uh, like prolapse of the anterior and um, posterior vaginal wall, as I mentioned, urinary or inner incontinence, postpartum sexual dysfunction of different types, in addition to dyspareunia that I mentioned before, even PTSD. I mean, so several of these conditions are usually a lot linked, especially by the healthcare providers to what happened during the events of pregnancy and childbirth. But some of these conditions like prolapse, even though they are not life-threatening, they might cause a lot of suffering for the woman throughout her entire life uh, if nothing is done about it. Um, yeah, so that, that, is, that is what this, that the paper three actually highlights. Yeah, yeah, great. Thank you. It really, really emphasizes the kind of longer term Effects. So, Megan, please, could you tell us a little more about the fourth paper in the series addressing intersectional gender power relations in maternal health? Yes, sure. So in the past several decades, we've seen the global health community come together um, with sustained efforts to really work to improve access to and use of quality maternity care services. And despite seeing some improvements during this period, um, we really see that these health inequities in terms of who's accessing services, who's using them, and in terms of health outcomes um, persisting across uh, places globally. And when we talk about health inequities, we're referring to health inequalities that are produced by social and gendered power relations that are unfair or unjust and therefore should be changed. So in paper four, what we're doing is um, describing how intersectional gendered power relations drive these maternal health inequities and what we can then also do to start to address them. So intersectionality is an approach that's rooted in black feminist theory and praxis. And intersectionality argues that power and privilege and conversely oppression and exclusion arise from multiple sources that are interconnected and co-constituted. So they're working together in different ways and different forms um, throughout society. As an example, women living in poverty are doubly oppressed by both their gender and their class. And their experiences for women living in poverty differ from both women who are wealthy and also men who are living in poverty, who simultaneously experience both privilege and oppression. 
In this example of women living in poverty, gender restricts the ability of women to access resources that could shield them from the adverse effects of poverty, so things like stable employment. And poverty likewise undermines their ability to protect themselves from gender depression. So, for example, by leaving a violent um, intimate partnership. Intersectionality helps us by um, foregrounding the inequities and injustices that affect maternal health. So, for example, we know that pregnancy and childbirth are inherently tied to sexual sexuality, to reproductive health, sexual health, and to human rights. And all of these things are governed by heteronormative gendered power relations. And these gendered power relations more broadly rationalize and perpetuate unequal access to and control of resources. And this is what we mean by the, the power aspect. Um, so in paper four, we present a new inequalities analysis that uses an intersectional lens in order to illustrate the strengths and opportunities of using an intersectional analysis approach, and also what we might lose if we don't use this approach. We also review and map um, equity-informed interventions in maternal health in order to identify opportunities for improvement and areas for innovation. And what we argue in paper four is that by applying an intersectionality lens to maternal health, it has real implications for framing clinical practice, research, and policy, and has the potential to therefore improve understanding and action uh, for health and well-being for all, and most especially for those people who are marginalized by systems of power. What this really means in practice is moving from a one-size-fit-all approach to much more contextually relevant approaches that enable things like community-led design and implementation in order to redress historical power imbalances. So many of the maternal health inequities that we described throughout paper four are viewed by the global and maternal health communities as entrenched and immovable. So it seems like there's not a whole lot that we can do about them. However, we argue that these inequities in maternal health that we see are entrenched only insofar as the global health community continues to leave underlying structural drivers of these inequities unaddressed. And in order to counter this, we offer the global and maternal health communities a set of possible new research, policy, and clinical practice approaches that seek to address the challenges of eradicating entrenched inequities in maternal health. Great, thank you. Thanks for sharing. Femi, in addition to the papers, you have written an accompanying comment as a call to action. Please, can you tell us a bit more about how you hope the series can influence policy and lead to changes in clinical practice? I think I'll start by saying that we have to realize the fact that the world has changed drastically and fundamentally since the SDGs were adopted in 2015. There's been, you know, uh, escalating climate events, you know, political conflict, including armed conflict, um, lots of advancement in technologies uh, with even bigger prospects for uh, AI, but as well as threats. And there's been increasing uh, demand for uh, a holistic and people-centered uh, care. Um, so our strategies to deal with maternal health issues also need to evolve. And um, the, the finding, the stagnation in the maternal mortality ratio uh, between 2016 and 2020 underscores why we really need to change our tactics. So the series provides the, the scientific basis for, uh, for, for the community, for the global community to embrace 
new perspectives in the overall approach to maternal health. The comment uh, calls on all stakeholders, women and women's groups, uh, ministries of health, implementers, including NGOs and CSOs, professional associations like FIGO, ICM, and IPA, um, academic research institutions, uh, industry and private sectors, and donor agencies, to all pay attention to how the changes, especially the recent changes in our world, are affecting pregnancy and childbirth outcomes. So overall, we're hoping that the series will provide new perspectives for the global community on how to best tackle maternal mortality and maternal health problems before 2030, but also beyond 2030. Great, thank you. Yeah, of course, we encourage everybody to read the comment. Thank you both so much for sharing so much important and interesting information with us. Just to finish off, um, I wondered if you could tell us a little about your future plans and how you hope to continue this work. No, thanks for that. Um, we have so many ideas for the future, and we're really lucky to have just an amazing group of students and colleagues all over the world to collaborate with to solve some of these wicked problems in global maternal health that we've talked through here today. Um, we've made some good progress to date, but I think there's so much left that we can um, work on. And some of the things that we'll be we'll be working on for the next few years um, include things um, about around um, this treatment, around implementation support and about um, integrating community voices into um, guideline development. So I'll talk you through a bit of uh, some of our ideas here um, in the next little bit. So we know from some of our work um, previously that about one in three women are mistreated during childbirth, but these really important person-centered measures of healthcare experiences and satisfaction with care are not consistently or routinely measured. Um, we really need to work to embed these measures of both mistreatment and respectful maternity care into routine data collection, or else we really risk leaving behind a critical aspect of quality maternity care in our blind spot, because what we don't know, we don't measure. Likewise, we're working now um, with the World Health Organization to build implementation support tools to support health managers and health workers to implement respectful maternity care in their settings. We really hope that these tools can help to concretize some approaches to improve the provision of respectful maternity care across different levels from the community, in health facilities, and up through health policymaking. And we're really aiming here to um, encourage health managers and health workers to agitate for real change um, in their work environments to ensure that high quality and respectful care um, is available and accessible for all women and all people uh, giving birth. And lastly, we have a substantial amount of work to do to ensure that women's and community voices are included in all aspects of maternal health, from everything from research prioritization to intervention design to public health and clinical guideline development more broadly. There's a lot of really exciting and innovative methods to ensure that this can happen, whether it be things like community-based participatory research, using arts-based methods or transforming community engagement methods in order to apply to things like global guideline development. I think at the end of the day, we've got the tools um, that we need to truly ensure that maternal health programs, interventions, and policies are based on what matters most to women and families who are using them. And I'm really excited to get this work into practice everywhere and hope that those who are listening into this podcast are motivated to join us on this venture as well. I'm just going to talk from the perspective of the the World Health Organization and the the work that we do. I think there's a lot that that 
would have to happen following the publication of this series. And, I, and, and Megan already mentioned some of the, the, the research activities that her group, as well as other collaborators, will be engaged in. But from, from WHO's perspective, there are uh, four key areas that we would be uh, following up with over the next couple of years. One would be first to disseminate, dissemination of the, the series, the content. You know, we, we have to get this as far and as wide as possible. So we'll take uh, opportunities that come, be it through international and national conferences through most of 2024 and probably beyond uh, to ensure that we, we uh, generate sufficient awareness around the content of the series. Um, in terms of research, the series papers all came up with research gaps that need to be addressed. We will be exploring the most important gaps and providing technical support and guidance to researchers and collaborating institutions that are resourced to address these gaps. In terms of guideline development, um, currently WHO guidelines are focused on clinical issues within the remits of pregnancy, childbirth, and the postnatal period. Um, we will start looking at those neglected conditions that are highlighted in paper three to see how some of these can be addressed at the global level. Already, we started looking at sexual health conditions after pregnancy, and that may address some of the postpartum conditions that they were identified as being neglected. And, and lastly uh, is global advocacy. This will be an ongoing process through 2030 and beyond. We will continue to engage in health diplomacy to address the intersection between sexual and reproductive health and maternal health and maternal mortality using human rights-based approach. Um, we are hoping that with this series, the, the world will have a different way of looking at maternal health and maternal mortality issues, and think of newer ways to address the, the global burden of uh, uh, maternal health problems. Thank you both very much. There's lots of things to be hopeful for with this work in the future. Thank you again, Femi and Megan, and thank you, listener, for listening to this episode of In Conversation With. Read the full series and check out all the associated materials by clicking on the link in the show notes. Remember, you can subscribe to In Conversation with eClinical Medicine wherever you usually get your podcasts.